what to do welcome back man no strings attached just a wednesday night let's go man special guest tonight good show man we ready to turn up peace to the family out there Y'all know we do every Wednesday night, man. We uh we come and kick it and uh talk about relationships and the culture. So tonight we got a special guest that can do all of that, right? So we're gonna jump into it, man. Um, first, let's get to the panel. Y'all know who we got in here. We got cousin Torian, aka aka I runs wild. What up, Torian? What's up, y'all? Happy no strings. Y'all already know who, what it's about to be. Let's go. Let's do it. We got Shody Mo, aka Cozy Mo, down there. Got a little bit of internet problems, but we see you, Mo. How you doing, sis? Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, hello, guys. Welcome back on a Wednesday night. Glad to be back and ready to get into some topics. So I will cut my pretty short. Let's get into it. There we go. There we go. We got LJ, aka Lionel, with some new glasses tonight. What up, my guys? Hey, family. You know, I'm ready to chop it up and provide the vibes that y'all need. Special guest in the building. Welcome, Dr. Umar. Thank Pleasure. you. Absolutely in peace, family. It's good to chop it up per usual. And of course, up top, we got Naomi, aka Nay. What's up, sis? Hey, y'all. Happy No Strings Day. I'm glad to be back on another Wednesday night with the special guest. I love it. So let's get into it. Let's go, man. And we do got a special guest tonight. Um, I would say he needs no introduction, but some may not know him. So let me do my best, Doc, right? Let me do my best. He is a doctor of clinical psychology, certified school psychologist, certified school principal, six degrees in total. The man is an author. He is the founder and CEO of the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy. Some people call him the King Kong of consciousness, the Prince of Pan-Africanism. Intercontinental Day, the notorious RBG, my personal favorite. No strings family. Welcome, Dr. Umar Johnson. Peace and Pan Africanism. Glad to be with you. Yes, sir. There you go, Doc. All right, man. Let's get into it. We're gonna, you know, we always say on this show, we allow everybody to come on here and conduct themselves and 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 speak in a most organic state. So anybody that wanna jump in the chat, we do appreciate it. We don't censor the chat, but if you talk crazy, we we, we gonna clap back a little bit. We're going to get right to it with Doc. Um, I know you've been talking about it a lot, Dr. Johnson, um, Kyrie Irving, right? That's the, that's the name, main topic. It's, Ky, it's been Kyrie right now in the black community. Um, I don't want to go so far to Kyrie right now, but you did a, a live a few days ago, and I think it may have pushed some buttons and ruffled some feathers on some brothers in the mainstream media. Because over the last 24 hours, I've seen a lot of these brothers now coming out and saying that they think things have been a little too harsh on Kyrie. Do you think that maybe they saw some of that live that you did? They saw it. <laughs> um, they um, so, yeah, they saw it. And I can appreciate the fact that they decided to backpedal because it does suggest that they at least have some honor and integrity left, you know. So to see Stephen A. Smith, uh, to see Jason Williams, Shannon Sharp, uh, to see them backpedal somewhat, I can appreciate it because it does say that there is a little bit of black man left inside of you, you know, so I can appreciate that. But with regard to Kyrie Irving, I'm very thankful to him uh, for standing up to the power structure in the way that he did, first with the vaccinations mm -hmm. and then being so willing to refute the narrative that 
the European Jewish community has been pushing for so long that they are the eternal victims. And at the same time, they don't do any wrong to other groups. Uh, there's no group of people on this earth that are innocent of wrongdoing. Uh, and that includes them. And for them to posit that anyone who does not endorse their narrative is automatically a hater of their people is very disingenuous. And I think that same level of uh, protection is given to brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ community. Uh, I think Jews and LGBTQs are the only groups in America for whom your First Amendment rights do not apply. You're not allowed to disagree with homosexuals and you're not allowed to disagree with European Jews. And I don't think that's fair. I think you have to be respectful in any critique that you offer. But to not be able to say you disagree with homosexuality or to not be able to say that you disagree with the narrative of the European Jewish community, I think that's wrong. No people should be above criticism and no people should be above accountability. What Kyrie did was brave. Uh, in many respects, it was unprecedented. And definitely we haven't seen it in quite some time. I even would have probably argued that he may have went a step further than even Colin Kaepernick. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, definitely we have to give him his kudos because what he did, we hadn't seen in quite some time. You know, and unfortunately, just like with Colin Kaepernick, Colin, uh, Kyrie Irving was left out to dry by many of his fellow athletes. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, with the vaccination and now this here, I think Kyrie Irving might be the most unapologetic black athlete of the 21st century. And um, that's at least that's where I have him. And I'm thankful for what he did. I hope he holds strong. It looks like the NBA is beginning to question whether they want to go forward with this. And I do think the backlash that they are seeing from the black community, especially given the fact that we're 45% of their viewership I think they may have to dance to a different tune. I'm sure the untouchable community, I refer to the European Jews as the untouchable community, not out of disrespect, but when you mention a name too much, you end up you know, being silent. So I try to say that so at least I can keep my messages to the community alive and active in the social media world. But I think they don't want to capitulate to Kyrie and the black community because that's going to create a whole new narrative that nobody wants to really deal with at this time. But I think the energy and the atmosphere of the black community and all of America right now is crying out for a new reality. And I think Kyrie Irving, before it's all over and done with, may be considered one of the authors of that new reality. For facts, Kyrie is definitely doing his job. I feel like um, I really love how much he has stood up and stood strong, like even when it comes to him having to um, face suspension and all that, like he was willing to do it as far as the um, vaccinations too. So I love how he stands strong and what he believes in and won't allow to be moved. And don't be surprised if we find out down the road that this suspension was somewhat political in that a New York judge has recently threw out the New York City vaccine mandate and said that all New York workers who had their pay withheld because they refused to take the vaccination had to receive all of their back pay. Mm -hmm. And as you know, Kyrie Irving missed quite a few games because he did not take that vaccination. And so 
the Brooklyn Nets have to pay him for all of those games that he missed because they would not let him play. That is so right. And so this suspension to me is suspiciously concurrent with this judge's decision. And so I see the suspension in some regard as a way for them to get around paying him his back pay from last season due to the vaccination. Hmm. And it's also really like perfect timing too, because of the way, you know, things are going on with these uh, companies that are laying off right now and all the stuff going on due to the, due to inflation and the recession that's right now. The common is that it's trying to get, trying to get this cut. And it was, it was extreme. Your connection. I'm really glad that you know he's. Your connection is still messing up a little bit, sis. Oh, we can barely hear you. Okay. I'm sorry, we can barely hear you. But go ahead though, Lionel. You have something, Lionel? Ultimately, where I'm at and like where I've been for a while, as far as like the NBA, the NFL, those organizations in particular, is completely not like messed with them, especially in terms of like the athletes. And Kyrie is a leader in that way because. It starts with them. I mean, of course, we have a huge role as like as far as watching and tuning in. But like these athletes signing contracts to these guys when they're the talent. I've always thought like coming out of high school, like if you're the guys, like if you come to my high school, Kyrie and LeBron and any like if you get five guys in the NBA, come to my high school, line up, run a game. I'd pay a nice penny to watch that. Like you don't have to go through this like entity like that. Now we can see clearly is not like serving us in any way. I mean, in terms of like cutting the check for them, like like in the moment monetarily, I'm sure their lives gets better. But ultimately, this is great a great way to shake the table for our people to see that this really isn't the route we should be taking. Ultimately, we got to be reclusive with everything. And I've always looked at the NBA and NFL. I feel like Kaepernick's situation was a great time for people to look at that and like, okay, how much energy am I giving the NFL in terms of how they respond to what we're going through as a people? And so that's why I'm like at with this. I'm just kind of sitting back. Hopefully people like recognize this because it, it's kind of an irk to see people um, support these organizations so much, especially given how they kind of bully like our guy Kyrie. It's, it's out of line completely. So then how do we come? What's our response? That's I'm a great you. point. I'm you know, I, um, Sorry. I really was hoping that the brothers and sisters in New York City pick up the mantle of this issue and organize some sort of a march or rally, not just in support of Kyrie Irving, but in support of free speech because Kyrie Irving is obviously the uh, centerpiece of this issue, but it's not limited to him. I see it on a much larger scale. And I think what is at issue here is free speech for black men yeah. whose opinions do not confirm the narrative of the power structure. They made Jalen Rose apologize a few days ago for saying that we should know the name of the woman who was involved in the Ime Udoka scandal with the Boston Celtics. And I agree with him. Uh, due to reasons of white privilege, they kept her name out of the press, but ran his all through it. And I think we had a right to know who both of them were. And Jalen Rose was made to apologize for that. Uh, of course, we saw another sister who just got fired from uh, MSNBC or CNBC for comments she made on Charlemagne the God's podcast. So we're starting to see uh, the power structure clamp down on people's right to give their opinions. Right. 
you have to confirm what they say and what they believe or they will try to cancel you. And so I think we have to resist this issue. And I think the NBA Players Association, uh, you know, through Jalen Brown and others in the NBA, I think they also recognize that if you let them do this to Kyrie, if you let them destroy his career because of, of an opinion, and in his case, it wasn't even an opinion. All he did was tweet a DVD that's been for sale for years yeah. on Amazon. And because he retweeted it, they want to destroy his career off of a retweeted DVD for sale. Uh, and so I think they're recognizing that if we let this happen to Kyrie, this can happen to any of us. We can have our careers destroyed for disagreeing with white folks. And I think that's the greater issue here. They want to take away our First Amendment freedom of speech. And we can't we, we can't allow that, especially black people, because we come through a history, you know, where we risked our lives and many of our ancestors gave their lives for speaking truth to power, even when they had no right to do so. So it's something that is historic. You know, it's something that is uh, it's a legacy of ours. We have to fight back against any attempt to censor our voices. Let me go to the super chat real quick. If you got a question for Dr. Umar, you can go ahead and throw it up in there. The super chat to help us see it quicker. So this comes from uh, artificial intelligence. He said, uh, Dr. Umar, what's the end goal for someone like yourself and Kyrie Irving as it pertains to black Hebrew Israelites? Have you spoken with Kyrie and what do black people need to know about the movement? I haven't spoken with Kyrie. And if I do speak with Kyrie, I would not make that public. Um, I know a lot of celebrities. I speak with a lot of celebrities, upper echelon celebrities. But because of how controversial I am perceived to be, I would not want to put any of their careers in jeopardy. So my relationships with our celebrities, I tend to keep those confidential. Uh, with that being said, as far as it relates to the Hebrew Israelite community, I love our Hebrew Israelite sisters and brothers. I support them and their religious narrative. You know, I'm a Pan-African nationalist. We believe in freedom of religion. So it doesn't matter to me whether you're a Hebrew, a Christian, a Muslim, or whatever else you might want to be. It's how you think that I'm most concerned about. I'm not interested in how you worship. I am not a Hebrew. I'm not interested in joining the Hebrews. But I do respect them, and I will fight for their right to practice what it is that they stand for and believe in. I'm older than Abraham, I'm older than Moses, I'm older than Noah. African spirituality is much older than all of the Judeo-Christian Islamic creeds. So I respect them, but I don't belong to any of them. But I think that they have a right to be at the table and I affirm their right to stand up for who they are because for far too long, Hebrew Israelites were being, were being treated like bootleg European Jews, which is not the case. I've been to Ethiopia several times. Ethiopia is home to one of the oldest oldest Hebrew Israelite communities in the history of the world. And so I do know that we, in fact, are the original Hebrews, but we're the original Christians. We're the original Muslims. We're the original everything mm -hmm. because we are the first thing. God made Period. us first. And so every religion and everything comes from African people. We are the chosen ones. Being chosen, in my opinion, has nothing to do with what you believe. Being chosen has everything to do with who you are. We're the first people. We're the oldest people. We built everything from the pyramids to hip-hop. There's no more creative people than African people. You look at our inventions and what we made. You look at our DNA and how we're the only people who can recreate ourselves in any other group. The white man cannot recreate himself in any other group. He has to mate with a white woman to make a white man. 
I can mate with any woman and make a black man, although I should not be doing that because I should be practicing loyalty to African women. But we're the chosen ones. As far as I'm concerned, religion don't make you chosen. Being African is what make you chosen, being God's first people. Peace to that. Speaking of Africa, let me put this up before I forget. This is our sister. What? Tell me, tell me what year this was, Naomi. Let me put up a picture real quick. This is you, Doc, and our sister Naomi, right there. Yes, it was in 2017, Dr. Umar. Um, I saw you speak at Panapest in Ghana. Wow. Yes, wow. and it was such. That was my first time seeing you speak, and it was like, uh, it was such a feeling. It was my first time in Africa, and of course, we were at the Elmina Castle, so like. It, it was just such a powerful moment. So, yes, I got to actually see you speak. I loved it. Yeah, I got a little backstory from the 2017 Panifest in Ghana as well. Okay. You, you probably remember this, but when I spoke there in El Mina, reverential night, when we walked, we marched to the slave dungeon. Mm-hmm. And then there's an entire program there, very beautiful with entertainment, music, speakers, the traditional chiefs, the rulers they speak. Of course, I speak. And so they put me early in the program. I don't know why they did that. You don't put Dr. Umar early in a program because I'm very popular. And so when I finished speaking, I had to use the restroom. So I slide off to the side of the stage to go to the restroom. I did not know that all the (laughs) West African youth were waiting over there to greet me. I was going to the restroom. And so when I turned the corner, it was all these African youth. And they just went crazy the minute they saw me. And so naturally, I had to stop and take pictures and do that. And then the next day, when I saw one of the traditional rulers, he said that I had been accused of disrupting reverential night by making it all about me. Mm -hmm. And that I pulled the youth away from the rest of the program that they left to come and talk to me. And I said, I didn't do anything like that. I, I had to use the men's room. I didn't know the youth were waiting on the other side of that wall. But once they embraced me, I couldn't turn them away because it's not like I'm in Africa every day. I said the mistake was not mine, but the mistake was you all's because you had no business putting me that early in the program. (laughs) You know, that's the issue that I go through occasionally where people sometimes just don't want to respect who I am in the culture. And they'll put me early in the program. And when I'm done speaking, everybody's going to leave because there's few orators who can do what I do on a microphone. And so that's what happened in Ghana that night, good sister. And it caused a little bit of commotion. And I had to answer to the elders for being completely innocent about a mistake that they made by putting me so early in the program. You don't put Dr. Umar. In. That is so funny because I definitely do remember crowding around. That's how I got in the picture. That's how I got that picture because a line had got created. <laughs> I doubt if they do it again. Now, now they know. Put me but now they the know floor. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on, but speaking about, so, you know, we got Dr. Umar with us live on No Strings Attached, man. Thank you for coming on with us, Dr. Umar. I was a little skeptical. I was like, I don't know if he's going to hit me back or not, and we're going to make this happen, but shout out to you, brother. Like, I'm grassroots. I'm grassroots, yeah, you know. I will say this about, about Dr. Johnson. He's one of the, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I've been we've been doing this show for a long time. Y'all know this crew. I've reached out to a lot of people, um, and Dr. I always say this, Dr. Umar Johnson's cell phone number is kind of like the rapper mike jones's cell phone number everybody remembers that number because he says it so much so you know the number yeah you know the number you just got to call it right and so if you hit him up man listen i'm living proof that that the brother was responsive we communicated we made it happen so we definitely appreciate you for being on here with us tonight and spending some time no problem problem. because we're talking about very serious information 
and I heard you talk about it briefly, but I want to go into it again. Um, mm -hmm. I heard you talk about it on another show recently. Um, one of the things that you do in your work, in a very serious work, is you do a lot of videos, a lot of lives, a lot of IG lives. I know you, I was watching when you got suspended live on TikTok. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I was watching that one, um, live when that happened. But something that happens to you a lot is your, some of your commentary gets turned into memes, mm -hmm. right? I, okay, I want to ask you about that. But before, we, before I ask you about that, you had to know <laughs> that when you were popping that belt, that that was going to get turned into a meme. <laughs> you had to know that was going to be a meme, right, Doc? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Give them their lashes. That was so important. Honestly, like, I felt that from like my soul. And they, not only did I feel that, but they deserved it. And it's like everybody know what that belt means. Like your mom clack clack that belt. You already know what time it is. Like I totally felt that from my core. Like that was necessary. No matter how many memes come from that, it was so necessary. Like they need more lashes, to be honest. Yeah. See, the thing is, nobody wants to be labeled a coon, not even the celebrities. And had Kyrie been destroyed they would have never seen the light of day again after that by the black community. They would have been permanent coons, you know? And what was so unfortunate about that whole situation was the black media, negrostocracy, they led the assault on Kyrie. Charles Barkley, who begged for his suspension. Shannon Sharp, who all but said he should never play again. You know, Stephen A. Smith was some very, very critical and incendiary comments, you know, Richard Jefferson and Jalen Rose, and they just went on and on and on. And I'm watching their commentary and I'm saying to myself, the Jewish community don't have to say nothing. The blacks are lynching him themselves. The, the, the white power structure doesn't even have to open their mouth. Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal was enough. And then you add Jalen and Stephen A and my God, it was an embarrassment to see black men do that to one of their own just to curry favor with their employer that was sad it was it was sad and i think black men in particular we really need to look in the mirror because we have not been on our job this century i'm going to just say it these first 22 years of the 21st century as far as i'm concerned black men we have been in our worst shape that we've ever been in in america 400 years, I've never seen black men this irresponsible to the community, this selfish, this uninvolved with the youth, this uncommitted to black women. We're not building no institutions. We're not tackling any problems at all. Most of the professional black men I know live in white neighborhoods. They hardly come to the black community, if at all. I just really think as black men go, so will the black community go. We need to get our act together. We cannot keep talking about how we are kings and yet we don't act like that you know we we are an embarrassment right now and i'm speaking collectively not individually but as a population black men have not been taking care of business this first 22 years of the 21st century so that piece of that i see y'all in the chat man if you got a question right. for dr umar you're in the chat please hit that so we can see it because there's a lot of questions in here i'm trying to get to them that'll get priority uh i see you tiara thank you 
um uh who else i see Dante, shout out to you here day one malcolm i see you shout out to you everybody's giving love and showing love to dr umar tonight we do appreciate it um mo we'll get you back up in a second amber amber's on the screen with us so i want to make sure we acknowledge you. amber what up sis you good over there hi amber you so good okay shout out to amber over there i want <laughs> I, I want to switch it up just a little bit doc um i know you were not a part of it and i don't want to get trust me i know the history so i don't want to get into the relationship but there was a re, a, a, a reparations rally that just uh -huh. recently I don't want to ask you about the rally, right? Mm -hmm. what, I, what I want to ask you about is reparations, right, in general. Um, I've heard you speak about this, and, I, and, and, and I've heard you talk about kind of a four, of a, five, a four or five point plan that included a lot of things, but not money. And I think, you know, me and a couple of my brothers, that perked our ears up because everybody else who talks reparations, the first thing is what's the dollar amount? So talk to me about reparations, your plan, and, and how that looks. Um, well, the cash payout is a trap because the American dollar is not, it doesn't have a mineral equivalent. The dollar is not on the gold standard. It's not on the silver standard. It's not on a copper standard. It's on no standard at all. It's a promissory note. So when you look at the cost of slavery to African people, uh, physically, spiritually, psychologically, financially, when you look at what slavery did to us and continues to do to us, you have to be very careful of trying to transfer that into a U.S. dollar equivalent. You're talking about the single greatest dehumanization campaign in recorded history. You're talking about the greatest forced transmigration of a people ever. No, there's not even a biblical epic that could even compare to the enslavement of African people. And so when you talk about restitution for the greatest human crime of all time, you have to be careful about trying to quantify that. You know, trying to quantify a qualitative experience can be quite a challenge. And I think it's a trap. And I think that trap is being intensified by the fact that a lot of us are a bunch of greedy Negroes mm -hmm. who just want some money so nah. we can go buy some Gucci and some Louis. I mean, let's be honest. Since when do we come become so loyal to our ancestors? You know, we're, we're so loyal to African ancestors all of a sudden that we want to fight for their reparations. We haven't built any institutions. Okay, we haven't tackled any of the major problems that we have. You know, we don't really uphold our ancestors' memory. Most of us belong to religions that don't even respect the power of ancestral mm -hmm. energy. But when it comes to money, all of a sudden, we want to be the vanguard for the ancestors. I see a lot of hypocrisy in the whole situation. Although I do support reparations, Pan-Africanists gave birth to the reparations movement. This is not anything new at all. It comes under the banner of Pan-Africanism, but I think many of the people involved in it are not visionary enough. I don't think they've done their homework enough, and I don't think they're thinking thoroughly enough through this situation. Um, just a couple of thoughts. Number one, we're focusing too much on money. As you've heard me say many times, I don't think money should be on the list at all, because if you get what we are entitled to get, if the restitution package is what it needs to be, then automatically you'll be making your own money. Why do you need to ask for something? So if money is on the list and if money is towards the top of the list, then the rest of that list must not be worth much. So let's deal with that. 
In addition to that, I think many Africans in America right now think that reparations is for them. Reparations is not for you. Reparations is for an entire people. Reparations are for those of us who lived in the past, those of us are living now, and those of us who will be living in the future. I haven't heard a single person in any of the reparations panels that I've seen or heard about, I haven't heard a single person speak to what percentage of the restitution package should be put in trust for future generations of African mm -hmm. children. Nobody is talking right. about a set-aside. Where is the conversation about a set-aside for future generations of African people? Because this is to benefit all of us. I think a lot of us selfishly believe that we are supposed to be the beneficiaries of the entire thing and that we can blow it and spend it and use it however we want. And I take serious issue with that. In addition, on my list, I think that we do ourselves a disservice globally as African people if we do not communicate about the various reparations initiatives that are taking place across the world. What do I mean by that? Well, from a Pan-Africanist perspective, there was one slave trade. There was only one slave trade. And it took us all over the world. Some of us went to Europe, some of us went to the Caribbean, some of us went to South America, Central America, the United States. But there was one slave trade. And I believe there should be one reparations fight. I believe it, was, it, should, be, it should be universal and it should be coordinated. Now, I understand that tribalism is so important to Negroes across the world that that may not happen. Even if we are not going to coordinate the reparation struggle, we must still communicate about the reparation struggle because if our demands and if our numbers and if our statistics do not make sense with each other, the white power structure will be able to play divide and conquer, separate and rule bounce us off each other, and none of us will get what we deserve. I'll give you an example. There's approximately 30 to 50 million Africans in the Caribbean. There's 50 million of us in the United States. We're about the same amount. What if we ask for more than what they're asking in CARICOM? CARICOM is the Caribbean economic community, and they have a reparations fight. What if Black America asks for more than what the Caribbean brothers and sisters are asking for. Then the white man can stand up and say, how can you ask for more than them when they were enslaved longer than you? Slavery in the Caribbean lasted way longer than it did in the United States. So how are you guys going to get more than them? Or what if black America asks for more than black Africa? There's one and a half billion Africans on the continent. What if we ask for more than what they ask for and they're a billion and a half people and, and, and everything took place on African soil from slavery to colonization to resource rape. So the point that I'm trying to make, if you guys can follow me, even if we don't unify the reparations movement, there needs to be some conversation and there needs to be some continuity. Otherwise, the white power structure will place against each other. So that's one point. Now, I'll give you three things that I think should be on the reparations list towards the top of it. Number one, 60 percent of all African people are congregated in 10 primary states. They include California, Illinois, Florida, and other places, Virginia. All 10 states are seaboarding, except Illinois, which is a lake boarding state. We should own the major port in all 10 of those states. Import, export, we get paid on anything coming in, we get paid on anything going out, and since 60% of our people 
are predominantly residents in those 10 states, having control of the major port guarantees us the right to inspect what's coming in and what's coming out to protect the lives of our people. Next, America is known for about 10 different natural resources. America sells oil, America sells gas, America sells gold, America sells water, America sells a lot of things. We automatically should get 25% of all revenue that America makes on the natural resources that she sells. Also on my list, black people should own black music. All black music belongs to black people. No other race can own the publishing of a black artist. That means Michael Jackson music must come back to us. The artists known as Prince, Whitney Houston, Sam Cooke, all of the greats, their music comes back to us. Music is America's second largest export. Second largest export. Hip hop is the most influential genre on the planet Earth and we don't control it. Most of the music that is sold from America, that is black, most of the money for that music is made by white people. That has to change. If we control the publishing, the marketing, the selling, the recording, and the performing of the music, we would have enough revenue coming into black America where we could build a black Wall Street anywhere we want. Also on my list is the return to black people of the hundreds of thousands of acres of land that were stolen from our ancestors from 1865 to 1965. Literally hundreds of thousands of acres were stolen from us at gunpoint by the Ku Klux Klan, government, white night councils, and other white organizations that would basically show up and tell you, you got 24 hours to get out of town and we're gonna kill everybody in your family. You have no idea of how many of us lost acres that way. We need a research team that's gonna start researching lands that were stolen from black people. Look at those deeds going all the way back to reconstruction and get us our land back. And the reason why land reclamation is so important at this time is as you know, gentrification is at an all time high and homelessness as a result of gentrification is at an all time high. We have more homeless black people today than we've had since Dr. King's time. And a lot of that, a lot of that can be taken care of if we had all of our confiscated lands returned to us. One more that I'll give you, and that would be black inventions. Everything that we ever invented should return to us as a permanent patent. And anybody who produces or uses any of the inventions we made must automatically pay us for it. So, for example, the cell phone is a black invention. The helicopter is a black invention. The golf tee, the self-lubricating engine is a black invention. The Internet is a black invention. Anything that we made, we should be getting paid for. And here's what I want to underline and underscore, and I'll be quiet. Everything that I mentioned is a concession that will last perpetually for eternity. One of my big criticisms of a cash payout is money runs out. Money is not a timeless commodity. Money runs out, but land does not expire. Your control of your music does not expire. Your control of the ports does not expire. We have to make sure we understand something when we talk about reparation. And that is this. The benefit of slavery to America will never expire. America's greatness is a direct reflection of her dehumanization of African people. And because America will never cease to benefit from our enslavement, 
the restitution that we receive, likewise, should never expire. Whatever goes on the restitution list can never expire. If it expires, then we have automatically gotten the short end of the stick. Another point I'll bring up, the psychological cost of slavery. The psychological cost. Do you realize we are owed more for the psychological damage done to us than we could ever be owed for the financial? 243 years of unpaid labor. 243 years of unpaid labor does not even begin to compare to 400 years of psychological terrorism. Every time you see a black man with a white woman, that's post-traumatic slavery disease. Every time you see a black woman with a blonde head, that's post-traumatic slavery disease. Every time you see black children killing each other on the streets because they want to wear Air Jordans and Louis Vuitton because they think they're nothing without a white man's name on their body, that's post-traumatic slavery disease. We're still suffering the psychological residuals of slavery, and I don't think we have paid enough attention to the psychological costs. Anybody who understands law knows that you can get way more in a settlement for your psychological damage than you ever could for the financial. Let me just let everybody know out there. I know y'all think that y'all listening, but y'all didn't catch all that if you just watched it the first time. You're gonna have to rewind that to make you catch all that. No, I, not because it was. Yeah, you're gonna have to rewind that and make sure you catch it, right? Because the brother dropped a lot in there. So it's a lot to unpack. So make sure you rewind that and, 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 and catch everything that he said so that you can have, if you have questions or a retort uh, to what he said, that you can go ahead and get that out. Um, you mentioned hip hop. Wait, I think I'm oh, okay. Go ahead. Your mic going in and out, kind of. Mm -hmm. Can y'all hear me? Yeah, yeah, that's much better. There you go. Okay, my fault. You mentioned hip hop several times, Doc. Um, unfortunately, we just lost one third of the Migos takeoff. Mm -hmm. Um. And also, unfortunately, this is becoming a, re a reoccurring thing mm -hmm. uh, in the hip hop culture. Um, what say you? I, I haven't really heard you talk about hip hop and what's going on with us losing these brothers to street violence, right? Um, talk to me about that. It's too many deaths in the hip-hop industry for me to believe that these are all random and do exclusively the street beats. I believe there's some systematic killings going on here. And I believe that if we were to put together a research team to look into this, we're going to find that the music companies are killing some of these artists because they make more from them dead than alive. And they make more from the insurance policies they have on them. You know, did the, here's what nobody's asking. Did the label have a life insurance policy on takeoff? Did the label have a life insurance policy on PNB Rock? Did the label have a life insurance policy on Tupac and Big? All these rappers, everybody knows there's two financial gains automatically from death of a rapper. One is insurance and the other is the increase in sales after they die. I will not believe that these are purely random. Some of these artists are being murdered so that the labels can recoup the money that they spent and make some of the money that they intended to make in the beginning. 
We're going to need a research team to look into that. I know many people are not going to be interested in doing it because it's dangerous. We know that music companies can get people murdered. We know that. Okay. Uh, we look at Jimi Hendrix. His manager who set up his assassination was a British Secret Service agent. So the music company, David Kenner for death row, if I'm not mistaken, I think he may have been an FBI informant. You know, so there's a thin line between government and music, you know, but sooner or later, somebody's going to have to look into how many of these artists had life insurance companies, uh, life insurance policies taken out on them by their labels. Mm. I want to get into another topic here in a second. Uh, that's going to be that the sisters are going to are going to have an opinion about. I know. But before we go into that, Doc, you, you have such a. Uh, uh, a powerful calling, such a serious work. I don't know if I've ever heard you talk about what do you do to wind down? What to wind down? What do you do for fun? Dr. Pan-Africanists don't wind down. We go hard until we die. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Wind down. But I'll tell you this though, I'm a reader. You know, I own more books than anything else. I'm definitely a reader. I'm a meditator. You know, I deal with my ancestors. That's the only way I'm going to get through this. So I'm very much into African spirituality. I practice Ifa, the Yoruba system that comes out of Nigeria. Uh, I read, I meditate, I study, I think. You know, I'm an intellectual. I'm, I'm a philosopher, so I like to just sit by myself for hours in the dark. And that's where my thoughts and my ideas and everything comes to me. So I'm pretty much into that type of stuff. I do like my scary movies and my ice cream. <laughs> I like my zebra cakes and my ginger ale. Ooh, ginger you know, ale. that's the bomb. And I like my women five foot five thick in the thighs. Talk that talk. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get to that. Don't worry. We're going to get to that. Here no, I'm second. like, Dr. Umar, when's your birthday? August 21st, <laughs> Leo season. You said August 31st? 21st. 21st. Okay. Leo, 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 just like Marcus Garvey. Okay. Ooh, hold on. Speaking of that. We Mark just had, y'all can talk to me. This is right up Naomi's alley. So y'all right by each other right now. Y'all had the whole Africa, the whole connection in Africa. We just had a lunar eclipse. Yes, sir. In talk Taurus. to me now. We're coming out of that. Is uh-huh. there energy there? What we got going on now right it's now? definitely energy there. First of all, the eclipse took place in Scorpio season. Scorpio is a sign. Uh, ruled by the planet Pluto under the governorship or governance of Orisha Oya or the divinity Oya. In the Yoruba pantheon, Oya is a feminine divinity responsible for revolutionary change and transformations. She's also the mother of the marketplace because revolutions have to be funded. And so right now, America is going through a Pluto return. That's the first time Pluto was in the exact position she was in. When America was founded on July 4th, 1776. That's what I was just trying to tell them. And so the Pluto return suggests from a spiritual standpoint that the institutions that govern this country, the corrupt institutions that govern this country are supposed to be torn down and rebuilt. But it's not going to be done by the universe. It has to be done by us. One of the religious, one of the, uh, religious and spiritual mistakes of black people in America is thinking God is going to do the work for us. God is not going to do any of the work. You have to do the work. God creates the circumstances that allows you to be successful when you initiate the work, but God is not going to do the work. Nobody's coming to save black people. We have to save ourselves, but the universe creates the atmosphere in which we can be successful. So going to the uh, eclipse 
the full lunar eclipse that we just had, you know, I don't think it was a coincidence that it was on the same day as elections yesterday. And it was in Taurus. Taurus is a sign that's ruled by uh, the divinity Orisha Oshun, who is the divinity of abundance. And I believe that it coming on election day was to shine a light on the hypocrisy of the American electoral process, but to also remind black people that we can have abundance without elections. To me, that eclipse was all about us understanding that we have to step into our own divinity, step into our own light, and that we are not limited towards becoming what we're supposed to become by participating in American governmental process. We are who we are separate from the United States government. And it's time for us to acknowledge that. No, definitely step into own power. There's a lot of full circle, like full circleness here, which is a true sign of divinity in itself. And it's just so inspiring. We started this show, like um, speaking to Kyrie and how brave he is with salute. But then we got to speak to how sharp your mind is and then also to your presence. And I got to salute you because as myself, as a young black man growing up, and I've always been so passionate for my people and about my people. And you were the sort of figure that like walking that I wanted to see and feel and be able to like connect to. This consciousness, this train of thought, this perspective is literally everything I've been like longing for. And still as someone who's like, shooting that direction becoming a, a like a man myself this gives me great direction and it keeps my mind in the space that i should be and i can talk to a lot of younger people as well so i just got to salute you in that and then if i could add anything to you in terms of our reparations because that's the trip like mind track we should have i would add because i go to the museum with my son all the time and like specifically when we're looking at the egyptian or the commit like um exhibit I'm like telling him how this is all all our stuff, but he's like, okay, well, if it's, he literally said, why do we pay if it's ours? And why do we pay to get in here? And so that's gotta be added because at the end of the day, we need all those artifacts back. Those are all stolen artifacts. So I had to make that clear to him. And then, so that's a deeper conversation. It's like, when do, where do you start with him? Like, okay, well, son, actually, so ultimately we need that kind of stuff back. That's a great train of thought versus just like a cash amount or a dollar amount. That's well said too, my brother. In fact, right now, you have several African countries who are going through fights with European governments, the former colonizers, because they want their stuff back. They want all the art that was stolen during colonization and slavery returned. And I was watching one interview, they were talking to a representative of the British Museum about something they stole out of Ghana or Nigeria. And the white man had the audacity to say, that we don't consider it to be theft because at the time we stole it, we controlled their territory. Look how arrogant and disrespectful that statement was, you know, but I tell people all the time, if democracy was a real thing, there would never be a need for warfare. You know, it's democracy or revolution. Yeah. You know, democracy, if democracy breaks down, the result is war. That's why brother Malcolm said the bullet or the bullet. And I think African people need to recognize that democracy is only going to take you so far because it doesn't really exist. This world is run on power. It is not uh, run on consensus. OK, and, and we really need to understand that. But that's the great point that you make. All of that stuff has to be returned. And to that point, I'm disappointed in us in America because many of our ancestral homes in this country are under the control and ownership of the United States Park Service. So when you go to Frederick Douglass House, that's the U.S. Park Service. When you go to Carter G. Woodson's house, father of black history, who wrote, in my opinion, arguably the greatest book ever written on the psychology of black people, the miseducation of the Negro. 
His house is under the park service. Mary McLeod Bethune, her house is under the park service. When you travel around to look at our history and where we've been and what our ancestors have done, most of those sacred sites are under control of the U.S. government because we do not value them. The only one that I know of that we still control is the home of Harriet Tubman up in Auburn, New York. That's still under the control of the AME Church, I believe. AME or AMEZ uh, Church. But that's the only place that I know of that's still in black hands because we really don't value our own experience. And we need to start reclaiming some of these sites because if they're under the control of the government, the government also decides when they can be destroyed. Let me make sure everybody knows, man. Hit the thumbs up button if you have not already. Hit that subscribe button. We do appreciate it. Also, you can catch us on the podcast section of iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. We do appreciate it. We come here live on YouTube every single Wednesday night. Right now, we got Dr. Umar Johnson with us, breaking down everything from Kyrie Irving to reparations to depths in hip-hop. And we finna go to something, Dr. Umar. And I know that the ladies, when when I told the, the, the ladies of the show, because we do. I've seen you do a lot of interviews here lately, Doc. You, you, you got, you know, because of the whole Kyrie thing, I've seen you do a lot of interviews. I haven't seen you do a lot of interviews, unfortunately, with the sisterhood lately. Mm -hmm. So we got some sisters on here now, Doc. And mm -hmm. I want to ask you a question, sir. Um, the conversation about polygamy mm -hmm. and black folks in our community, is that something that 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 we should be embracing right now? Is it something that we should be embracing? I don't know if I want to use the word embrace. Okay. I would probably say it's something that we need to understand and consider. Okay. Uh, here's the thing. First of all, um, I do do interviews with the Queens. I got one coming up Sunday. Uh, black women love Dr. Umar because I'm the only scholar who says black men should be with black women. No other scholar takes that public stance. Nobody oh, on YouTube, oh. nobody in the world. I'm the only one who does that. Why? Because everybody else, they like some non-black cookies. Uh, you know, the Hebrews don't say it. The Moors don't say it. A lot of people in other organizations, they don't say it. Black conscious people don't say it. I'm the only scholar that you know of who says black men need to exclusively date black and women. Let them know, and let them know one more time. It's five five thinking the thighs is the same. It's five five, but five five is a metaphor. She could be five one, she could be five six, she could be five six, but thinking the thighs is not a metaphor. You have to be that. But let's stay focused. <laughs> Consciousness over cookies. Stay focused. Revolution <laughs> over romance. Here's the situation. No woman wants to share her husband, just like no husband wants to share his wife. I want to be clear. Nobody wakes up and say, I want to share. So this is not about what's best for the individual. It's about what's best for the community. Only one out of every four black women gets married in this country. One out of four. When you add the transgenderization of black males and the homosexualization of black males, in another 10 years, if that long, you can probably cut that number or, or, or should I say multiply that number by two or three. It's gonna be only one out of eight black women are getting married. One out of 12 black women are getting married. So because you have such a shortage of men and every woman has a right to have a man, what you see in black America now, not only in our community, but that's who we're talking about. Most men have more than one woman. And as a result of that, you have a serial monogamy going on an undercover polygyny 
where nobody is held accountable for their behavior and nobody is responsible to other parties involved in these situations. So the question of whether we should be polygynous or not is a mute point. We already are. The question is, are mm. women going to be responsible enough for themselves now to make sure the men are going to be responsible and accountable? Because brothers don't want sisters to take polygyny seriously. They don't want it. Brothers do not want women to take polygyny seriously. You know why? Because it automatically makes them accountable. See, right now you can have as many women as you want because sisters will not entertain the conversation. So brothers got three women, four women, five women, not accountable to them, not taking care of them. But the minute you say we're going to put some rules to this, the minute women get to a point of maturity that says, I don't agree with this, but I recognize it's happening. And I do understand that with the shortage of men we got, there's no way to get around plural relationships. There's no way you're going to get around it. If you married every black woman in America right now to an able-bodied black man right now, every able-bodied black woman gets married to an able-bodied black man. You will be left with two to three million black women without a husband. I didn't say two to three hundred and I didn't say two to three thousand. I said two to three million black women will not have a husband. So when you ask sisters about that, what, how, what is the solution to that? You know what they say? Tell them to go find them a, black, a white man, a Mexican, an Arab. That's not possible because we Pan-African and so there is no dating out the race, right? And so most women will simply say, that's not my problem. Uh, I got my husband. She got to go and get hers. And that type of selfish thinking has given rise to the undercover polygyny that we have. Because what happens is every woman knows that they have a right to a husband and they're going to share yours without your permission. And that's what we got going on in America right now. A dysfunctional, unregulated, dishonest, undercover, plural relationship situation, serial monogamy. And I just think that if we're serious about saving the black community, black women are going to have to have a conversation amongst themselves, not with us. We have no place in that meeting. Black women have to have a meeting by themselves and decide what are they going to do about the shortage of black men and what are they going to do about black men with multiple women? Because being an educator, being a school psychologist, I work in schools and so I see firsthand the side effects of a man with two women and the women don't like each other and the children of both women can't even speak to each other. You're in the same classroom with your brother, but you can't acknowledge him because mom is mad that dad got the other woman pregnant. And that wasn't right. He had no right to be dishonest. But guess what? As long as we keep living under this fairy tale monogamy miracle that doesn't exist and has never existed, this is what we're going to keep on getting. Now, I, I, I have to say this too. When we have conversations about polygyny, the narrative from the sisterhood is always put out there by middle and upper class, well-educated, well-to-do black women. You don't hear from poor black women when we have these conversations. You don't really hear from working class women when we have these conversations. You don't hear from single mothers with six and seven kids. You don't hear from mothers on public assistance. The narrative and the conversation is always had by middle and upper class black women who are in a position to say, I'm going to have one husband and one husband alone. 
But are you thinking about all these single mothers who are raising multiple children on your own? Are you thinking about all these homeless black women, these poor black women, these working class black women who would love nothing more than to have a man help them raise those children and could care less about the relationship he has with the other woman? So we have to make sure that when we have these conversations, all voices are brought to bear and that, you know, we don't have an unbalanced input from those of us who are in a position to say, I don't have to accept that and I won't. Nobody wants to share. You do it because it's in the best interest of the community. Yeah, I can't do that. Let's go, Amber. <laughs> I can't, I'm not doing that. And I'm not trying to force you. Oh no, I'm I'm not saying yeah. you are. I'm just saying uh, I'm kind of like with Tierra. You know, I ain't got it in me, baby. Find somebody else to do. Right. But here's <laughs> my question to you. I'm gonna challenge you back, and I respect your decision. But I'm gonna challenge you back. You answered that question from a me I perspective. Yes. And one of the problems we have as a race, because of slavery, we don't know how to think for what's best for the community. You gave me your opinion, and I respect it. But now you have to answer that question again. And that is simply, what do we do for those 3 million Black women who will not have a husband if every Black woman was married to a Black man at this very moment? It's not about you. What's okay. best? What do we do to solve the community shortage of men? That's the question I'm asking you, three beautiful sisters. What are we going to do? to make sure every woman has a man, every child has a father, and we don't have enough able-bodied black men to go around. What is your solution to that problem? I probably don't have a solution, but I'm gonna pray about it. <laughs> Prayer does not solve those pray types about of problems. It. <laughs> what you're doing, let me tell you what you're doing, and I'm only picking on you, beautiful. <laughs> For the sake of the conversation, you're backing away from the issue. Mm. And that is something that we as black people do too much. Let me give you a parallel that doesn't have anything to do with romance. I was on an interview today talking about gangster rap and its impact on dysfunction in the community. And I got into a heated but respectful, res respectful back and forth with some of the brothers because they did not want to hold gangster rappers accountable for influencing our young people to engage in dysfunctional behavior. And one brother kept saying, well, the movies got killing in it and the movies got gangsters in it and they watch Scarface and they watch uh, New Jack City. And they said, well, we got authors putting books out that promote violence. I said, guess what? What has been more influential towards our young men getting into a, di a dysfunctional, violent lifestyle? Movies or gangster music? It's drill rap. So let's stop trying to blame uh, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino is not the reason these boys out here shooting. But guess what? Little Dirk might be the reason he out here shooting. So they kept trying to get away from holding black men responsible for misleading our young men. You follow me? And that was the conversation about rap when I told those brothers, as men, we can't be afraid to tell our young men the shit you doing is wrong and it needs to stop. And I'm just drawing a parallel because I want you to see it's not just about relationships. Whenever we are faced with serious problems in the black community, we like to back away and say, well, I'm going to pray on it. Now, we ain't going to pray because we've been praying for 400 years. We need a solution. And black well, women. Away. 
I'm not backing away. I just don't see myself saying, well, you know, nay, because you don't have a husband. Why don't you come over here? And, and see, I love nay with that. So let me ask you another question. Let me ask you another question. Please, Amber. Again, you still deal with individualism. Now you She's still like, but please, I need a good man, girl. Please. Listen, listen, yes. listen. Here's something else we know about relationships. The older the woman is, the less concerned she is about being a co-wife. So you calling me old? No, 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 no. <laughs> what I'm saying is women above the age of 45. Oh, yeah, that's not me. Are more interested or more open to the idea because they no longer are blinded by romantic notions of the little house on the prairie type family. They understand we have a situation in black America that doesn't lend itself nicely to the white picket fence type of an arrangement. Now, with that being said, though, with that being said, I would dare argue that many black women, and you ladies can give your opinion, many black women would rather be in a relationship that's dishonest with one man than in a plural marriage situation that is completely honest. In other words, a lot of women would rather live the lie that you're the only woman your man has. Stay with me. A lot of women would rather be lied to by their man. A lot of women know they're not the only woman, but they don't want to accept or admit it, so they would rather be lied to than live the truth. In other words, if they say, okay, you got to be in one of these two situations. You're in a situation where you're led to believe you're the only wife, and that's what he's going to tell you, what you want to hear, but it's not true. Or you're in a situation where you're one of two women, and you're upfront about it. You know who the other woman is, and y'all communicate as necessary. Many black women would rather be in the situation where they're being lied to because they don't even want to entertain the conversation that they're sharing their man. And most women share. There are very few uh, monogamous men in this world of any race. And you know what's even more interesting about this conversation? Let's the go, type God. of men that y'all want, the men that you are attracted to, the swagalicious brothers, the brothers who got it going on, the handsome brothers, they ain't got no one woman. And you know this. And you know this. I would like to chime in on that. Say that again. The ugly ones be doing the same thing. And you know why the ugly ones are doing the same thing? You know why the ugly ones can be bold? Because it ain't enough to go around. When yeah. there's not enough to go around. Let me go. When you go to the supermarket, right? And you're looking for a certain loaf of bread. But the bread ran out, and the only bread left is the no-frills bread. What does the owner of the supermarket do to the no-frills bread? He raises the price. You're paying $6 for a dollar loaf of bread. You know why? Because the scarcity of bread drives up the price of what's left over. So the ugly brothers are also got it going on because it ain't enough for the handsome brothers to go around. Oh my gosh. But okay, but in reality, that is reality. Okay, but I'm saying, <laughs> okay, but in reality, I'm saying that there women are going outside their race. Lord. But that's not a solution they for the black community, though. See, you I'm, keep I'm getting away saying, from what we're I'm talking about. It's a solution. Solutions for the black community. Okay. You're sitting with a snow puppy and making a baby. That's not a solution. 
Listen, but white men are not breaking down doors, marrying black women. They're marrying them, but they're not breaking down doors. They want to have sex with you. They don't want to wife you for the rest of your life. White men have a ritual where they have sex with black women because your sex is considered the greatest. And it is right. Everybody <laughs> wants that African coochie. Do you understand? And I think some of y'all think because white men want your coochie, they want your hand in marriage for the rest of your life. And that's but not it's not just white it's men, though. No. But you, you're saying. Who you talking about? Who you want, a Chinese man? You want a Chinese man? What you looking for? <laughs> no. Who you want? Jackie Chan? Who you looking for? But I'm saying, you're saying just because there's not enough black men, I should open my doors for somebody. No, to no, 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 no. I'm not telling you you should open your door. I'm that's telling you another woman will open your door and share your man without your knowledge. That's what I'm telling you. You don't have to do nothing. But what you did say that I agree with, what you did say that I agree with, I do agree that black women need to travel abroad and explore options with black men in other countries. I totally agree. But let me give you this disclaimer. If you go to Africa, in particular, looking for a husband, you're going to find one. He's going to be strong. He's going to be hardworking. He's going to be a provider. He's going to be much more alpha than a lot of the brothers you meet in the States. He wasn't raised by a single mom. He was raised by both of his parents, right? Mm -hmm. But here's where you're going to have to make a concession. If you think you're going to tell him where to go and how to get there, if you think you're going to be snapping your neck off at that African brother like you do us in the States, it ain't happening. In Africa, you will respect your husband. So that's the trade-off. You'll get that. You might not even have to work. You won't even have to work. But guess what? You're going to respect him as the leader of that house. And some black women in America, because of the rise of radical black feminism and the lowered respect that many of you have for black men, a lot of you would not be able to adjust to marriage with a black man from a traditional African background. But you can't lower respect, but the thing of it is, is in in actuality, a lot of black women are more educated, they're making more money. And why is that? Tell me why. You're correct. Why? Because black men are not doing what they That is nonsense. That's like according to the European <laughs> narrative. That, that, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. In the 1970s, after they murdered Dr. King, the U.S. government decided to destabilize black men to make us irrelevant to black women. This was done on purpose. Make the black man economically irrelevant to the black woman. They decided to do this in the 70s and they systemically started over-educating and over-employing black women. That's why you all are the only women in America who out-earn and out-educate your man. It's not because the black man is lazy. It's not because the black man is immature. It's not because the black man is irresponsible. The government set the black woman up to out-earn and out-educate the black man. But what you just said, my dear queen, feeds into the narrative of an irresponsible black man. You basically said because brothers ain't doing what they're supposed to do. That's not why you have more education. Okay, you don't have more education. You have more education because the government set it up that way. So you have to be clear not to blame black men for systems that were created to disenfranchise them. Don't swallow the narrative.
Okay, but some of them, Facts. like you said, holding people accountable. We got to yes. hold some people accountable. Yes. That they chose not to go to school or they chose to do you other things. You keep dealing with individualism, though. You, okay. you keep going back to this, this. It's not about, we are in a system. The black community is ruled by systems. The whole society is ruled by systems. Let me give you one right now. I'm a school psychologist, right? I evaluate kids for special ed, right? I'm the guy who labels autism. I label the reading disability. I label ADHD. I label the intellectual disability, speech and language impairment. All that's me. Only one out of every four black boys is graduating from high school in this country. One out of four. That's why you ain't got that man you want. That's why they out here selling drugs and killing each other. Systemically, the schools are designed to fail the black male children to protect privilege for the white male children. That's why I'm building the Frederick Douglass mm -hmm. and Marcus Garvey Academy to make sure your daughter has an able-bodied, hard-working, heterosexual black male husband. I want you to make sure you're paying attention to the way systems operate. That doesn't mean you can't hold us responsible as men, but when you see an entire population going into prison, an entire population unemployed, an entire population miseducated, an entire population on ADHD medication, that cannot be blamed on individual pathology. That's systematic dysfunction. And you know, I speak to the heartstring of the black man on this show. And like that hurts to hear because ultimately there should be love there coming from you, Amber. And like, also not even you individually, but that's a narrative. And like, so to hear that coming back at us versus like having love or support because it takes each other, especially there's clearly like a thing out against us. Like, and like, I don't want to like scream that because whatever, but like, Right, but it's going to take, like, us supporting each other. So I have the thoughts of, on terms of, like, polygamy, but I have the thoughts more on community of, like, the sense of, like, I know I could do so much for, I think of a lot of Black women who are in those situations, and it's just them and going hard on their own, but, like, there's so much you could do. And then I think of how I could help, but then how I wouldn't step on my woman's toes, like, being in that situation. So, but then ultimately, that's my duty, and so that's the kind of thought you know, mindset we have to have is like supporting each other. And then same for you. Like, how could you love somebody into making sure that they're good? How could you love a man into like making sure he's educated? And how could you love a man into making sure that he's able to financially provide as much as you, you know, versus like, oh, here they go. They can't do this. Well, I'm as far as the choices being made, not, I'm not talking, I, maybe I said that wrong. I'm talking about the choices that you make I know you got to tell me I'm singling out or being selfish, whatever. But I'm talking about everybody. No, it's not whatever. We got to <laughs> deal with every factor, woman. See, you can't okay. dismiss. But listen, Don't be talking about the choices, the choices that you make. Not saying that, like he's saying, the choices of some people is out on the streets doing, you know, whatever. Because you could come in the Half same the black men in America unemployed. You believe that's purely due to choice. You could be in the same household and you'll have one kid maybe join the military and the other one decided to go sell drugs. They had the same upbringing. I'm talking about as far as choices. <laughs> and guess what I'm going to tell you? As a therapist, guess what I'm going to tell you? They could, you think they had the same upbringing. They were just in the same house. How about one son was favored by the father, the other son was not. 
One son was favored by the mother. Okay. The other son was not. One started. son was reared appropriately, and the other son was allowed to do what he wanted. One son was sexually abused, and the other one was not. You cannot judge a home by the I'm look not judging it. a home. I'm just saying in, okay, it could be all kind of different scenarios. Yes. Two children in the same I'm house, two different outcomes. I'm saying that sometimes it's the choices that people make, and that's- I people. agree with that, but what about the systems, baby? You keep running away from my system. I'm not running away from it, but every time I say something, y'all want to go back with something else. I'm saying what I said. I'm saying- Right, but you, I'm with you, but you're not giving a solution, though. You said you don't know what the I'm solution. not supposed to. I mean, that's what you are here for. You get a solution. <laughs> you ask for my opinion, and I'm- No, sister, no. This is a community. No, we a community, baby. We all going to get a solution. I already said what I wasn't doing. Right, but that doesn't help us. You have to, if you care, do you care about the future of black people? Yes or no? I do. Then you have to think about solutions. 70% okay. of our my, kids. My solution is not going to be inviting Nate to my house. Okay, that's you're too what, worried about Wee Wee and Coochie. Wait, you're too worried about Wee Wee and Coochie. Okay, back off the Wee Wee and Coochie. Listen, if we're talking about building strong homes, listen to me. Okay. If you're talking about giving every child a father, and if you're talking about making sure everybody is living a quality of life, polygyny is one of the greatest solutions for that. <laughs> Give me four women, I'll be a billionaire in five years. Give me four strong women with a good head on their shoulders, and we working together, that's an empire. That's an empire. But the problem with us, men and women, we go right back to the sex. We go right back to the genitals. Get out of that. Marriage is so much more than sex. Now, for me personally, I'm going to have two wives. I only want two. I don't want three. I don't want four. I don't want five. But I How will have two have now? One in training <laughs> and one in the interview process. But stay with me. <laughs> two queens. Stay with me. Two queens, right? That's all I want. And the reason I need to Ain't for sex. Because guess what? You can have sex whenever you want, wherever you want, if you're a black man. You understand okay. me? Mm -hmm. right. So it ain't about sex. I can get sex anyway. I don't need to be married to get sex. The marriage is the accountability. And the reason I need two women is because everything that I have to do for our people, from building schools all over the planet to being the number one go-to psychologist when parents have issues with special ed and ADHD, suicide, low self-esteem, depression, family dysfunction, I got to do all that build institutions, raise the consciousness, lead the Pan-African movement, take care of the NIBPA, do my group trips to Africa. I wear a lot of hats. And the biggest responsibility of my two wives are going to be administration. Administration. It's too much work to be done for one woman. I wouldn't dare trust my empire to one queen. It's going to be two, and they're going to share in it, and they're going to love it. So now I And I'm honest with any woman that I date. So I'm they honest. know. I These let them know, know from the gate. I'm going to have two wives. They know about each other now? They will know about each other. They will. Once the final decisions is made, they haven't been made yet. So basically, you just in the interviewing stage with yes. both of them? Okay. Yes. Okay, so, so what, I have a what, question what how that do? works, though. Because, I mean, as far as what you just said, like, you know, does that not kind of put, like, a, a somewhat of, like, a little speed bump or roadblock in the way whenever you... Let's say how you're saying two only. Yes. Like, does that not come back to kind of being like 
thinking individually because how how are like if every man is to put that limitation how is that can how is that like in the mindset of us you know basically building our community taking care of our community if, if every man were to put that limitation where it's like it's only two it's well, like okay well, so how does that balance out at the end of the, how does it how does it balance out though Listen. but i'm saying if it if there were to still have the like what like I, I don't know if that makes that, sense. That, like if we're able to put that limitation and is that still going towards you know helping of course helping the it is because my my thought about that my degree of responsibility is such that my decisions are automatically going to support and should support the best interests of the black community. Some brothers might want three wives, some brothers might want four, some might want five. Listen, I'm not trying to die young, so I don't want a whole bunch of wives because y'all work, y'all a lot of work. Look, and that's another thing. As far <laughs> as the as far as this topic for me, I am not uh necessarily partaking simply because of that reason. Like one partner is already enough work, in my opinion, and I say this all the time on the show. But I am also considering your your perspective. And it was, I like the way you broke it down because it actually makes a lot of sense. It's something that it's like, that's not how it's looked at though by a lot of people, if that makes sense. That's because not how we have bought into the European monogamy narrative, okay? If you study traditional family structure in ancient times, not just Africa, go to ancient China, okay? Go to anywhere monogamy was always a reality but so was polygyny you will never find time where there was monogamy without polygyny this is something the european gave us one man one wife nobody practices that and you can't really have a serious conversation with married men because they're going to lie in <laughs> order to protect the situation with their wife that's why i hate having this conversation with married men. Oh. Uh, oh, we, we, hold on, Doc. Look, look. I put my ring up and he left. It was like a. Oh, oh look, hold on. Mute. You're on mute. <laughs> Are you still on mute, Doc? Hold on. Let me see if I can get you off. Hold on. Dang. Hold on. Uh, it's saying that your mic is muted on your end, Doc. How far sponsors? That was probably the Lord. Shut up. <laughs> Oh, it says your mic isn't connected. Oh, there you go. Okay, I don't know what that was. I was about to bl blame the FBI. They tend to follow me. <laughs> but uh, again, I, 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 I do want to say this. We have to be responsible with polygyny. It's not something we roll out tomorrow. As someone who was raised Muslim, Sunni Orthodox Muslim, I can tell you that I've seen examples of dysfunctional polygamy where women were abused in it. This is a system where you need checks and balances, you need counsel of elders, you need honesty, you need transparency. So even though we're having this conversation, I want to be absolutely clear. I am not an advocate of going into polygamy immediately until everything has been processed, everything has been discussed, checks and balances and accountability is in place because there's no need to go into a system that's going to exploit our sisters more than they've already been exploited. I want to be clear about that. You see, I know I've seen polygamy in religious situations. I've seen it work and I've seen it hurt. And we got to make sure we do it right. And I think as far as that goes, like with being accountable, it's going to I, I personally believe it's going to be as like all the way around. I know the focus was, you know, black women being a little bit more open to this. But like we just spoke about 
you know, with the gangster rap stuff, like how there's just that influence out there that we have to have that accountability that maybe, yeah. you know, the situation and people aren't looking to be, um, I don't know the word, they don't want to use these types of things for, you know, the greater good. It's like, yes, it's just like, oh, well, a lot of times the conversation that's being had when it comes to um, polygamy is like, okay, well, oh, I just want, I just want, you know, to have several women and, you know, whatever, whatever, but that, that perspective has to be on both ends. It needs to be, I think it needs to be worked on from both ends. Cause that's not, a, that's not an American thing. That's not something that's like, it doesn't have to be common, American. you know, we and, and but that's American. what we're, but that's what we're surrounded by. That's what I'm saying. Like that's right. What's, but that's our what's decisions, here. our decisions, we still have to exist separately from America, although we are within it, whether America does it or not, is irrelevant. America is homosexualizing our kids and transgenderizing our children. That don't mean we should be for it. So we still have to think independently but I do agree with what you're saying. And, and, and again, this is something that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of collaboration. And I'll be honest with you. The biggest reason why it may not work in this society is because black women in general are so much in competition with one another that I don't think most of them could even stomach the possibility of a plural marriage. See, plural marriage only works if the women can work with one another. The man don't make it work. The women have to make it work. And when I look at how much competition exists amongst black women, I can see why we may never get there in this particular society. See, in Africa, our, our daughters and sons are raised with a different mindset. So when the topic of plural marriage comes around, it's like, if this is what's best for the community, even though I'm not right. gung-ho, if this is what's best for our community, I'm going to give it a shot because I am because we are. The concept of Ubuntu, we are because I am. We don't have that in America, the women or the men. So whether we're talking about marriage or gangster rap or building a black Wall Street, most of us are not willing to sacrifice the personal for the communal. Like the sister you know, she kept going back to me, me, me. I'm not. I'm only picking on you a little bit, sweetie. She kept going back to me, me, me. That's our problem as black people. We never get to the we. It's always about what's best for me. And the problem with that is we're the only people who cannot subvert personal agenda for collective gain. We won't do it. If I don't like it, we ain't doing it. And I don't care what the impact is on the community. That's not good. We have to change it doesn't have to start with polygamy. It could start with some other issues, but we have to change. We are not used to holding each other accountable. And we're the only community that does not have a system of responsibility. You can do whatever you want in the black community and get away with it because we have no structure and we have no infrastructure and we have to change that. Your mic is in mic. Yeah, what's going on, Roy? Your mic off? Okay, well, I have one. Go ahead, to, Look, because I want to. <laughs> yes, the people want to hear you. Come on. Okay, so you said to understand and consider, and I definitely understand, and I am just like considering just everything that you said, because honestly, I've been thinking that in the black community we are kind of practicing. I guess polygyny in a way just because um like when it comes to the baby mama's baby daddy's thing. Absolutely. My my son's father just had his second child and I've literally been thinking like 
in this, like he does have two families to take care of now. Like in that way, he does have the responsibilities in the way that those things work. And like um, to where, you know, my child has other siblings or has another sibling. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and that has honestly just been an interesting situation just because I have seen how um, love literally extends because I love my uh my son's little sister too like right like and you still love your and you still like love that. your son daddy too yes yeah, i love him i don't fuck with him though but so like that would be like seeing how like um the family can extend you know right. i don't know if i could ever like could i do it with my new man that i get married to or I'm, i don't i don't know like i yeah i i could consider it though See, see, that's why I wanted to bring this up, Doc, because you see the ladies, they're like, everybody's a little bit hesitant, right? No, and that's, and that's, and, and they should be. Okay. Because they don't want to risk further exploitation. Okay. So the reaction is totally normal. You know what I'm saying? I, I understand where the Queens is coming from. Like I said, nobody wants to share their spouse, but we have to recognize we are living in a situation that is unhealthy and abnormal. White, the pressure that white America is putting on our community vis-a-vis -vis the destruction of the black male requires black women to think outside the box in mm. order to save the community. We have, look, 70% of our kids are raised by single mothers. 70% of our children don't have a father in the house. You're not solving that with one man, one woman. Mm -hmm. Everybody don't have to be polygynous. But you're going to have to come up with something creative to tackle this if we care about the future of the black community. That's all. I was just going to say, I think, um, you know, that definitely opens up the conversation and in a way that I don't think we've really talked about on the show before. And um, I think it's interesting and it's definitely necessary to open up that conversation because it doesn't even have to be in the sense of we're all married. You know, it can also be to where people just change their mindset a little bit more to where it's like if you are maybe one of those situations where, you know, we're married, but you have, you know, children with someone else that is still that, that, you know, kind of like the dynamic where it's like, I can still be that, you know, um, support for, you know, mm -hmm. the other person that's in your life, whether your kids, because I feel like that's a, for a lot of people, the reality. And it's like, you know, just to think that that's kind of the same thing is just without the, the, you know, um, the factor of actual marriage. So I think that's really, Interesting. It definitely has changed my perspective a little bit today because like I am always open to, you know, people's standpoints on these things. And like that's definitely um, something I would probably think a little bit deeper about because it really does take a village. And that's something that is not, I guess, practice, you know, enough, um, especially within the community. So, yeah. Yeah. And I just think the narrative that men are sexually undisciplined has distracted us from having a serious conversation about plural marriage. Serial monogamy is not exclusively about sexually undisciplined black men. In my experience being a family therapist, more often than not, what I've seen, the woman sought out the married man. And see, mm -hmm. I don't think black women are being totally honest, not you three sisters, but black women in general, I don't think they're being totally honest on this topic of monogamy. And you know why I say that? I can't tell you. Stay with me. 
Well, well, <laughs> I'm calling yourself that. Listen, queens, side queens, my sister. <laughs> <laughs> my sisters, no, they are <laughs> goddesses and empresses. Facts. But, but, but here's the thing. I can't tell you how many family therapy situations I've been in where a black woman who said she would never be part of a plural marriage, she would never be a sister wife, and she's dating a married man behind that woman's back. I run into these situations all the time where black women who are opposed to polygamy on YouTube <laughs> are happily dating married men. Mm. So yeah, how can true. you say you're against plural marriage and you're sleeping with a married man every day? Mm. You follow what I'm saying? So we got to be honest. And I think sometimes women are not honest because they want to live up to the expectations of the sister circle that doesn't necessarily condone conversations on plural marriage. But when you get into their background, you see mm -hmm. that they dated married men. They dated uh -oh. men in relationships. So women are not as opposed to it as they say. They might be opposed to it being known, but they're not opposed to participating in plural marriage situations. I see it all the time. Oh, look, look, Naomi laughing. <laughs> Naomi back there laughing. She laughed. You got to. <laughs> no, I was laughing about something. Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> you seem like you might have some experience. Okay. You had a married man, Naomi? Oh, no, I have not. not. Not that I've known, known of. But I'm, I still fuck with, like, I'm still young. If you don't stop cursing, somebody so get some soap and wash that sister's mouth. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. Listen, Doc, I be trying, Doc. You see how they talk on here? Uh, I've been good. I haven't said not one cuss for you have not, but you've said other stuff, though. Uh, I mean, <laughs> out the way. But I do have a, I do have a question though. Okay, go ahead. Okay, let's go ahead so and we're, we're wrap up with the this. Two women in um the um uh, plural marriage, case. sister wives. Well, I'm talking about your women. Mm -hmm. Um your queens. Um why so, you say it like that? <laughs> um <laughs> don't so you do dare cast aspersions on my queendom. The e two-day queendom is nothing like it. Do they have other kings? Are you okay with them Absolutely having Absolutely not. And can I tell you why? Wow. Yes, I want to know Remember now, I'm only interested in a conversation about polygamy if it's based on solving problems in the community. I don't care about personal preferences. I don't care about personal choice. We are solving the problem of a lack of available men in the black community. That's the purpose of polygamy. It's not about individual preferences. It's about community needs. With that being said, let's say I gave you three beautiful black sisters, two husbands apiece. You have two husbands. How does that solve a situation where we don't have enough men to go around as it is and you got two and you got so many other women who don't even have one? In other words, plural marriage for the woman, what is known as polyandry, does not work in black America because there's no shortage of women, there's a shortage of men. So mathematically, polyandry would make the black family dynamic more disastrous because now you have women taking extra husbands where most women won't even have one. It's not about personal preference, my sister. It's about the best interest of the community. Furthermore, y'all get pregnant. It is unethical to have sex 
with another man while you carrying that man's baby in your belly. You 10 months with a child. You are nine to 10 months with a child. Ain't no way in hell. What's your other husband going to do? Wait 10 months until you get rid of the other husband's baby? Listen, I'm just asking. Because he's going to be with his no, 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 other No, I'm not picking on you. I'm just being passionate, He's going to be with but his I other wife at that time. Say that right. again. He's going to be with his other wife while she's pregnant. Oh, so you... Yeah, because... So he got two wives. He got two wives. I felt like in August. And you got two. You know what? That's not polygamy. <laughs> that is an orgy. Okay, that's an orgy. But no, okay, do we want polygamy or do we just want some orgies? What do we want? That's a damn orgy. But it's happening anyway. You just said it's happening anyway. Listen, listen. Is, if okay. I find out my woman gave my cookies to another man, I don't want no more cookies. I don't want no more cookies. If you give my cookies to another man, I don't want no more cookies. See, what y'all women need to understand is y'all are internal. Y'all not external. Everything that man got, he can put inside of you. Mm -hmm. You understand me? And a woman's vagina is an extension of her unconscious. And this is why so many sisters can be unhealthy because y'all got different men climbing up into your God cave. You got different men. Listen to me. You got different men going up in your God cave. And now you got all the different energies of these different men swimming around in your spirit. And that's not healthy. Women are not designed to have multiple partners. You're not. And not to mention, if you end up with the Lucy Goosey. You know what the Lucy Goosey? No. Okay. Explain, uh, Break it down for me. That's when you are loose in your goose. And no man wants a woman who's loose in the goose. If I go swimming and I don't feel no walls, I'm out for life. We're done here. Go get you a carpenter and have him bring you some drywall and build you some more walls. Cause don't no man with a woman without no walls. But no woman wants a man who is for the community. What do you mean for the community? No woman wants a man that's for the community, what? Yeah, you I got a revolutionary system. Not so literally. <laughs> you mean she don't want a man that's sharing himself with everybody in the community, right? For the and community. that's why, and that's why, when you get your husband, you're going to sign a marriage contract with your husband where you specify the number of spouses he can have. You're going to limit him to one. Ain't no man signing a one woman contract. Well, he'll sign it. But uh, listen, listen, men are polygynous by nature, okay? But here's what I want to say to you. So you saying every man? No, the beta male. You can get you a nice beta male. You can get you a nice brother who's about three foot tall with a size 22 shoe and a stomach hanging over his belt, a bald spot in the back, no swag whatsoever, and he'll never cheat on you, sister. You will be happy with that swagless midget Negro. Do you understand me? So if you want a beta male, but see, here's the problem. Y'all women don't want no beta males. You want an alpha. You want an alpha. And what you need to understand about alphas, when I say he's polygamous, I'm not saying you got to share your man your whole marriage. I'm not saying that. Listen to what I'm saying. Some men, they do want a consistent second. So in my situation, I'm going to have two women. Consistently, two women. The same two women because I'm not getting divorced or none of that. Consistently to women, right? That's me. Some men will have you. And every once in a while, 
every once in a while, every couple months, every couple weeks, every couple years, he will entertain a different source for his feminine energy. Polygamy doesn't mean constant women in and out of your marriage. It simply means that it is the nature of a man to explore other sources of feminine energy on an occasional basis. But if you're looking for a man and you think he's never going to entertain any other feminine energy but yours, you're living a fairy tale. Okay, but do you think the opposite for women? Do you think- Oh, y'all cheat just as much. Y'all so, cheat better. Yeah. So why a woman can't have something on the side too? I just told you, mama, the purpose of polygamy okay. is to make sure- okay, But not having a baby though, and not even having to get married. You're not gonna let your wife have no other dude. Yeah, one yeah. of your yeah, other yeah, wives. Yeah, getting away from community again. We're getting away from community into personal preferences. There you I'm go. But at what community. point does it get personal for you? It's just always gonna be for the community. Always for the community. Because it's still gonna be my wives got to hold me down. I'm King Kong consciousness. They got to hold down the movement. That's why ultimately he said this would have to be a conversation that women have amongst themselves. Women gotta have it by themselves. Yeah, because if it's about y'all sharing and y'all not discussing it, y'all sharing men. Listen, a woman would rather have a husband than a best friend. I want you to stay with me. A woman would rather have a husband than a best friend. Do you know how many friendships I've seen destroyed? Because your best friend is thirsty for a husband. And she got a God-given right to have one. And your husband has everything she would want in her. Now, y'all best friends. <laughs> but guess what? When he makes a pass at her, her thirsty ass going to take him up on it. And y'all friendship is going to be destroyed. Where from an African standpoint, you could have just said, you know what? I see you, girl. And I know you like him, too. You know what we're going to do? We're going to sit down and have a conversation about this. We're not living in the same house because we don't need to live in the same house. You need your own space. I need my own space. But rather than wreck our friendship, we are going to enter into a plural marriage with him. That's how you're supposed to do this. But what black women do is y'all see all the thirsties with no man. All the thirsties with their tongue hanging out. No man. And y'all say, I got mine. I don't know where you're going to get yours from, but I got mine. And you know what she's going to do? The minute you're not around, she's going to start sharing your man. It's not about morals. See, it's not about ethics. Like it's, but listen to me, baby. It's not about loyalty. Every woman has a God-given right to a husband. That's what I need y'all to understand. And her desire to procreate is greater than her desire to remain your girlfriend. Ooh, y'all think Okay. We get ready to get up out here for the night. We're gonna have doctor. We're gonna have don't worry. Don't worry. I know the sisters is, is looking at me with their necks turned up. I, I know. We're gonna now have somebody said the vagina retracts. Okay, go that ahead. That is true when you give it time to retract. But if you throw in that goose all but through Philly, all through Baltimore, all you through the you gotta give the vagina time to go back to her natural state. But if you out here freaking on on the regular basis that vagina gets stretched out and if it gets stretched out too often for too long ladies it will not go back in shape Don't and you know what we got we got a crisis listen to me listen 
you're talking to a relationship therapist. One of the biggest crises we got amongst our women. Most of you ladies, your mothers are probably in their 40s or 50s. We have mothers who are in better vaginal health than their daughters. That should not happen. A 55-year-old woman, her vagina should not be in better condition than her 35-year-old daughter. But that's what's happening because y'all generation have a promiscuity problem <laughs> and a self-care problem at the same. I'm being honest with y'all. I'm no, being honest. I be fucking around 20-year-old sisters and 30s, y'all not, y'all not reverencing. You're supposed to reverence your womb. Your womb is an extension of the universe. The babies come through that. The ancestors are reborn through that. You're not supposed to give everybody access to that. You're supposed to value and cherish your womb. And I'll tell you this, as your big brother, as your big brother, a man can tell if a woman honors her vagina the minute he touches her. You can feel a woman who respects and values her vagina, her energy, her vaginal power is so much different than a promiscuous woman. Without her even saying anything, he can tell the difference, which is why I tell sisters all the time, why are you telling people when the last time you had sex? You don't need to tell a man the last time you had sex. You know why? I will know the last time you had sex when I touch you. I don't need you to tell me nothing. Because what women will say, I ain't been with nobody in two years. I've been a celibate for two years. And then when he go to touch you, that goose start flopping. Bop, bop, bop. It's a goose. It's a goose. <laughs> Listen. That's wild. Take care of what God gave you because you only get one. You can't trade it in later. Be slow to give it up. I'm telling you, don't give it to them easy. You got to make them earn that. Make them earn what's between them. That is your essence. That's your femininity. That's your God self. That's your womanhood. You got to make these brothers earn it because easy come is easy go. And if you make him wait to earn it, I promise you, that brother going to value who you is because a man loves a woman who respects her body. Do we try to challenge y'all? Sure, we want to challenge y'all. Because we want to see how strong you are. We're trying to see how much self-respect and control you got. Of course, we're going to challenge you. But the ones who you make wait, they're the ones who will value you. All right. Let's, all right. On that note, shout out to Doc. Listen, we're going to end the show right there. Oh, wait shout a second. Wait a second. Wait a sec. Go ahead, sir. Listening audience, make sure y'all support the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy. Get on your cash app. Dollar sign FDMG school again on your cash app. Dollar sign FDMG school on your PayPal FDMG Academy. You can also mail your check or money order payable to FDMG Academy, PO Box 9634, Wilmington, Delaware 19809. And I do want to let everybody know we're about 80% done with the renovations in the Marcus Garvey building. And God willing, if we cross the finish line by the end of this year, we will be having a grand opening of the FDMG Academy community walkthrough and celebration wow. February of 2023. If you want to work at the school, please send me your resume. Send your resumes to fdmgresumes at gmail.com. I repeat, fdmgresumes at gmail.com. Send your photo and send a cover letter. And I want all my sisters to know that even though it is a boys' school, 
the faculty will be co-ed. So sisters can teach at the school, sisters can work at the school, but you gotta have your natural hair, ladies. No weaves, <laughs> no perms, no straightening combs, no European hair color. Okay. We are a 100% nappy by nature institution. I wanna be clear, okay. all right? Also, next Saturday in Philadelphia, November the 19th, I will be hosting my Black Parent Know Your School Rights Bootcamp. If there's parents out there who want to learn how to advocate for their children and protect their children from special ed exploitation, ADHD abuse, join me in Philadelphia November the 19th for eight, from eight until eight, 12 hour Black Parent Bootcamp. You don't have to stay all 12 hours. You can stay two, you can stay four, you can stay six, you can stay eight. I will be there the whole 12 for parents who want to learn all the information they need to know to save their children. We will cater the lunch. There will be refreshments throughout. We're going to have a lot of fun together as I teach you how to advocate for your children. You can register at drumarjohnson.com. And don't forget to subscribe to my new on-demand video platform, www.drumar.tv. That's www.drumar.tv. Black Power. And my cell number, if anybody needs to reach me for consultations, if you got issues with your children, you need to talk to Dr. Umar. If you got life coaching issues, hit me up. 215-989-9858. 215-989-9858. And next Saturday, the 25th, we will be in Atlantic City, Showboat Casino on the boardwalk on Atlantic City for the Black Business Expo and Fashion Show. Saturday, November the 26th, Showboat Casino. Atlantic City, New Jersey. And this Friday, we're at the Nat Turner land celebrating the greatest revolutionary in American history, the prophet Nat Turner, who died, was killed, was hanged, and dismembered, beheaded on November the 11th, 1831. The day after tomorrow will be November the 11th, 2022, 191 years later. If you want to come to Virginia and relive the Nat Turner experience, go to natturnerlibrary.com. I repeat, natturnerlibrary.com please give us doctor can you please give us the the quote that nat turner gave before his hanging i've heard yes, you give that before go ahead yes sir when thomas gray thomas gray was the white man who interviewed nat turner on november the first nat turner trial was november the 5th nat turner was hanged november the 11th when thomas gray was interviewing nat turner he asked nat turner do you not find yourself mistaken because as you know, Nat Turner was led by God uh, to liberate black people. But most of his comrades were murdered. The Nat Turner army, they were all hanged and killed, most of them. And so the white man, Thomas Gray, who was interviewing him in his jail cell, and you will go to that jail cell if you go to the Nat Turner trail tour. He said, do you not find yourself mistaken now? And Nat Turner looked up and he said four words. And I think these are the most revolutionary four words ever spoken in history. He said, was not Christ crucified? Was not Christ crucified? In other words, if the son of God had to die for you to be reborn, how did I fail? Because in my death, I will give inspiration to black people from here into eternity. Look at me. I'm thoroughly inspired by Nat Turner. I'm born on the day the Nat Turner War started, even before Frederick Douglass and Marcus Garvey. Nat Turner reigned supreme for me. So Nat Turner did not lose. Nat Turner won because the memory of Nat Turner continues to inspire us even into this very day. Peace. We're going to leave y'all with that. That's powerful. We're going to bring Dr. Umar. We're going to have to have Dr. Umar back for part two because I know the sisters got a lot of more questions. 
about sure. the religion thing, Doc. So we're having to bring you back on. Thank you for coming on and, and hanging out with us tonight, man, on No Strings Attached. Everybody that's tapped in, thumbs up the, the, the channel. Rate, comment, subscribe. We definitely appreciate it. We out here for the night. Peace. Peace to the family. Bye. Peace.